Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented uh, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my co-host, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media, and World B Michael Freer. This is episode number 40, the Sean Kemp episode, one of the very best in-game high flyers of the 90s. But this was a tough choice for me tonight, boys. Um uh, you know, personally, I'd, like, I'd love to give this honor to Kurt Thomas, who wore number 40 for eight different teams over his, the course of his 18-year career. And with crazy-eyed Kurt Thomas, you could always bet on toughness, solid shooting out to 15 feet, and of course, some damn good screens. And speaking of good bets, Bet Online is your proud sponsor of the podcast here at 48 Minutes and home to all sports bets. BetOnline.ag is the number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And with that, let's start our tip here tonight. And Bruce... We'll go to you first. All right. Thanks, Russ. I had a really good assignment on Saturday night in Denver. I was producing the national ESPN radio broadcast of Suns Nuggets game one. I worked with Mike Cousins, the brilliant young play-by-play guy, and analyst Corey Alexander, a veteran of seven NBA seasons who could run for mayor of Denver and win, even though he lives in Virginia, former Nugget. I wanted to share some of Uh, the vibe from my courtside position, which was directly next to the green challenge light just inches away from Suns coach Monty Williams. (laughs) I had a similar view in Toronto three weeks ago, but what I saw on Saturday night was a much different band of basketball than the Bulls-Raptors play-in game. We all know how amazing NBA athletes are when it comes to speed, size, bounce, and athleticism. But being so close to the action and seeing things with my own eyes allowed me to see things that TV doesn't always convey. For instance, Jamal Murray looked amazing on TV, but watching him explode off of a screen with precision and force from 15 feet away was just dope. And watching Nikola Jokic operate in the post is practically poetic. He rarely jumps more than two inches off the floor, but he still grabs all the rebounds. The efficiency of movement and the relatively light pounding he puts on his feet, that's going to keep him in the league for a really long time because he does carry a lot of weight, but he doesn't pound his feet. Well, I'll be producing the ESPN radio broadcasts of games two, three, and four of the Lakers Warriors series later this week and early next week. And hopefully we'll have a similar view, although I'm not counting on it. Sometimes they put you way up top, especially in L.A. where they sell those seats. Uh, But I'm hopefully looking forward to sharing some moments from LeBron, Steph, A.D., and Clay on an upcoming show. And I'll let you know what I see next time around. Awesome stuff, Bruce. Obviously, both uh, World B and I are thrilled that you are at these games and be able to offer that kind of insight here on tonight's show. World B. Thank you, Ross. There isn't much left for Seth Curry to accomplish in this sport. 
He's won the titles for, and counting perhaps, he's won the MVPs, two of them in the regular season and a finals MVP, and he's a member of the NBA's 75th anniversary team on his way to future induction into the Basketball Hall of Fame. But on Sunday, Curry gave us something else about his game to marvel at, and he became the first player to have a 50-point game in his seventh game. While we'll discuss the Warriors at length in this episode, Game 7 was a nice reminder that it's not enough to call Curry a special player or an exceptional talent. He's revolutionary. Now, I understand that some people out there may not think that this era's version of the NBA is their cup of tea. I get that. And they may never rank Curry truly among the greatest to ever play the game, although why, I really have no idea. But if I'm Steph Curry, having the phrase revolutionize the NBA doesn't look too bad on a career resume. Well said there will be. And uh, I think my opening tip is going to intertwine with yours and also be a little poetic like Joker in the post, as Bruce said in his tip. So don't get me wrong. This season was a tremendous success for the Sacramento Kings. And they did have some unfortunate luck having earned the number one or the number three seed only to face the reigning champion Golden State Warriors in the first round. Two teams with polar opposite amount of uh, playoff experience, but I can't help but question and call out the lack of adjustments by Kings head coach Mike Brown, refusing to do anything there in the third quarter of that game seven. His Kings team was absolutely demolished on the boards, and just how bad was it? The Warriors out-rebounded the Kings 23-9 to in the quarter. In fact, Kevon Looney had 10 rebounds alone, which was more than the entire Kings team combined. How do you not turn to the bench? How do you not throw a big body out there? I talked all series about wanting to see Chemezi Metu out there in some capacity. Alex Len did get some early run in the series and was solid in the spurts that he was out there. And we didn't see either in game seven until the final few minutes with the game out of reach. There's not much I'd question about Mike Brown this season. He was able to lead this group to quite a turnaround and fully deserved the unanimous uh, Coach of the Year award. But I'm quite perplexed at the lack of obvious adjustments that were needed in that third quarter on Sunday. The quarter that ultimately cost the Kings the game and their season. And just a quick, a quick poetic update to my NBA playoffs fandom this year. No more freak show, no more beams. That is the death to all my dreams. But hey, you guys still have dreams still alive here. So let's get right into things and start off with the first quarter as we just watched the end of game one of the Philadelphia 76ers at Boston Celtics. And let's discuss Philly's upset in game one, defeating the Celtics 119-115 without MVP candidate Joel Joel Embiid. Bruce? You know, most casual fans believe that the number one rival of the Boston Celtics is in Los Angeles. But is it really true? The Philadelphia 76ers and the Celtics have met 21 times in the postseason, with Boston winning 14 times, including the last five times they've met. Philly's last series win over Boston was in 1982, when Andrew, the Boston Strangler, Tony, almost (laughs) single-handedly destroyed them uh, playing guard for the Sixers. Well, guess what? In game one of this series, there were two Boston Stranglers on Philadelphia. James Harden, 45 points, including every big shot, and Tyrese Maxey, 
26 points. So those two combined for 71 and led Philadelphia to a, an improbable but really thrilling uh, win on the road in Boston. It was um, a huge disappointment for Boston fans watching that game, thinking, gee, no Joel Embiid, you know, we got this one in the bag. And in the early going, it looked like they did. They were carving them up in the first quarter, going to the basket at will, dunking, laying it in, making great passes, moving the ball, not shooting threes, which I know World B is going to talk about as we discuss this game. But they just, you know, at halftime, Charles Barkley kind of saw this coming. He said, you know, Boston's not taking these guys seriously. And I don't necessarily agree that they didn't take Philly seriously. I just think Philly played an unbelievable game and deserved to win. And now they have the luxury, if they want, of letting Embiid rest a little bit lo- longer because they got they're guaranteed a split in Boston. So, um, you know, Doc Rivers, this one had to be sweet for him, the former Celtics coach. Yeah, no doubt about that. World B, what was your takeaway from this game? Uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, I agree. That James Harden had to come up big, and he came up big. I mean, through the last two games between Steph Curry and James Harden, two of the uh, veterans of this league, coming up with their best performances ever, really, in the postseason. James Harden tied his career high uh, for a playoff game tonight with uh, or Monday night with 45 points, and the, the dagger three that gave him the ultimate uh, turned out to be the game winner. Yeah, Bruce mentioned, I was a little surprised. I talked to you guys before the show. During the regular season, the uh, Celtics were the second were second in the league in percentage of field goal attempts that came from threes, about 40, almost 49%. And today, only 26 of their 75 uh, shots were threes. Now, the, the flip side is, they shot almost 70% from inside three-point range, so they had it going on. But the problem is the Sixers made 17. You got outscored by 21 on the three-point uh, line. And today's NBA, that's really hard to overcome, no matter how well you shoot inside there. So that that was a little tough. For that. And Bruce mentioned before, you can't turn the ball over uh, 16 times, nine times in the second half, led to 20 Philly points. And, you know, I said it before the playoffs. I've said it before. There were three teams in this league that were, were top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency efficiency this year, Boston, Cleveland, and Philly. And so this isn't a huge surprise to see. Philly was one of the best teams in the, for a good part of the year in the second half. They were right up there with the Bucs and the Celtics. They tailed off a little bit at the end, but they played as well as anybody down the stretch of the season. And, this isn't a shocker like, you know, the Heat going and beating my Knicks the other night or the Lakers pulling out a victory, you know, series victory over over Memphis. So this isn't that big of a shock. It's a big road win to get that road win, but it's not the biggest shock of all time. As for me, I mean, I had two big takeaways, two big surprises in this one. Number one being James Harden's performance here tonight. The Sixers and Doc Rivers gave him the Dennis Rodman treatment uh, during the, the break in action. He was in... He was uh, seen in Las Vegas out partying um, between series. And uh, for him to show up like he did tonight really impressed me. Wasn't expecting that, especially against this Boston defense. And my second one is actually a question for you, Bruce. I mean, just looking at the box score here in 19 minutes off the bench, Robert Williams had six points, a perfect three of three from the field, seven boards, uh, which would be second in on the team in rebounding. 
And, uh, you know, he only played the 19 minutes and had one personal foul and zero turnovers. I mean, just for, for a Celtics fan like you, I'm just, you know, what's your take, big takeaway about Robert Williams not playing much in a game where he could have dominated without a guy like Joel Embiid and, you know, he could have ate Paul Reed alive. It's a really good question, and I'm sure it's one that Joe Mazzulla is going to be answering for uh, between, you know, now and when this show drops. Uh, I think Joe is just being cautious about playing him a lot of minutes. I think he's worried about him breaking down and getting hurt and not being available in later series. But guess what? If you don't utilize him properly, you might not have to worry about those next series because you won't be playing in them. Um, he played very well when he was out there. Uh, he blocked a couple shots. He's a presence in the middle. But if you think about it, you know, maybe, maybe Joe might have been thinking this. The way Philadelphia was, you know, working from outside in game one, shooting threes, maybe he just figured he needed smaller people to guard the three-point line. I mean, Robert Williams isn't going to go out to the arc unless it's, you know, a, an unusual situation, and then it's going to be kind of a one-off play. So I think, you know, he he had more minutes for Malcolm Brogdon tonight. Uh, Derek White uh, was a non-factor in this game, one. He really did next to nothing, uh, unusual, because he's played so great. Um, but, you know, I think it is kind of a shocking win, if only because no Joel Embiid. I mean, look, Philadelphia is a very solid road team. They know how to win games on the road. They were 25 and 16 on the road, 27 and 16 if you count the two playoff wins. That was tied for the second best road record in the league with with Boston and uh and Sacramento. So, it's not like they don't know how to go into a hostile environment and compete. And again, you know, if James Harden's going to drop 45 and you know Paul Reed's going to make four key free throws down the stretch, which is not something you necessarily expect from him, although you do expect him to do well as a backup center. It's almost like Paul Reed and Naz Reed, you know, the two best backup centers in the NBA. Uh, Paul had 13 rebounds in this game, okay? So um, I'm thinking it was a combination of Joe maybe trying to preserve Time Lloyd's health and also wanting to get smaller guys that could guard the three-point line, which they didn't really do all that effectively. I think it's matchups. I, I agree with you, Bruce. I think it was, I think it was matchups. I think the idea of having Al Horford defend on the perimeter, which he can do, he was a defender as James Harden drilled the game-winning three right in his face. But you can't – you with Joel Embiid out, you can get away with doing that, I suppose, and try and defend around the perimeter with a guy like Al Horford. You can switch out a lot easier than with Robert Williams. It didn't work tonight, obviously, with 17-3. He shot 45%. But you're also talking about a Philly team that was the number one three-point shooting team in the league. So it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it wasn't a bad strategy. And just because it may not have worked tonight, it may, you know, we'll see how it goes, how it is going forward. Um, Yeah, I think the three-point shooting was a big deal tonight. And uh, I think Boston's got to really figure out uh, a way to hoist them up, as it were, for lack of a better phrase. I'm the Celt- if I'm the Celtics, though, what I would do is run them off that three-point line and have Time Lord waiting in the paint. I think you can sag off Paul Reed. Let him beat you. I mean, if he's taking 15-footers or even trying to make plays off the dribble, so be it. The 76ers have a bunch of guys on the roster that play below the rim. I mean, every one of them, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, 
all those guys like to, to just throw up floaters. They don't, they don't go and just smash one on your head. They're not that athletic of a team around the rim where they're, you know, skyrocketing around the rim. I, I'd like to see more of uh, Time Lord out there. And if anything, pressure the perimeter. If they beat you off the drive, of course, you got one of the best shot blockers in the game in Time Lord waiting for him. And I think without Joel and beat out there, I would take my chances. But uh, just thought it was a curious thought there. Now, obviously here, if you're the Celtics, you, you talked about it at the top here, Bruce. Um, Jimmy Butler's in a similar situation. Do you think we'll see Joel in, in game two? Or now that they've stolen game one, do you, do you anticipate that the 76ers will go ahead and rest Joel and give him some more time off his feet? I think they're playing with house money right now. And I think they should use, you know, they should, they should value the opportunity to give him a little bit more rest, knowing that they're guaranteed they're split in Boston. Um, and if Joel Embiid is 90% today, maybe he'll be 95% if he skips the next game. So, but again, you know, I'm, I'm guessing Doc will probably strongly consider it, but we'll see. I mean, Joel Embiid's going to have something to say about this too, you know. If he may, yeah. if he says, look, I'm ready to go, put me out there. We got a chance to really put a stranglehold on this thing if we can take game two. Because if you go up 2 nothing on the road, you're going to win the series. Yeah. Well, of course, Bruce wants uh, Joel Embiid to sit out. So he, that's why he's he's all, uh, <laughs> you know, playing doctor here as a as – a, uh, trying to get Joel to sit out this one and you know let Philly enjoy the fact they got a split. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think it's uh, something that they'll think about. But I also think the the opportunity to go up two nothing in a series on the road with, like you said, Bruce, they are a good road team. They have proven to be a good road team. They've proven to be a good team. Period. You go up two zero at coming back to Philly. Yeah, this you don't want to say the series is over, but it's looking it's looking pretty good in your favor. That that's a tough thing to to navigate there. I think I think it ultimately would fall on uh, Joel Embiid if he's ready to go, if he's a competitor like Jimmy Butler. Obviously, we know he he is. If he's ready to go and he says he's ready to go, he's going. All right, and with that, let's get to our second quarter here and let's briefly discuss the big game seven and wrap up everything that was entertaining between the Sacramento Kings and Golden State Warriors series that certainly did not disappoint. And then after that, we'll go ahead and go ahead and preview uh, the Warriors next series versus King James and the Lakers. But we'll be, I'm going to start with you uh, just kind of wrapping your mind around what we just saw in that Sacramento Golden State series. I mean, what were your biggest takeaways and uh, what are you looking forward to moving forward for the Warriors? It was a great night for the veterans uh, to get gear up for one more run. You know, it's this wasn't supposed to happen to Golden State this year the way they played, and to see Steph Curry carry that team and to see the rest of those guys gather around and say, "You take us, take us home," and he absolutely did. He put on one of the all-time great performances in the in this league in a first-round game. Game, by the way, this is just the first round. This is crazy. Um, you know, 38 shots, they, and they needed all of them. And when they got that lead in the second half and they start to put the pressure on, we've all liked the Kings all season. But I'm not saying they, they felt the pressure or whatever because they hadn't 
shown that they've felt pressure the whole series. They came to Golden State one just one game earlier. They, you know, they when they weren't supposed to do it, they were supposed to get closed out in game six, and they come through with that. So it was Steph Curry leading the way, which, by the way, they absolutely needed because Clay Thompson couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat for most of the game. And the decision to start Draymond was perfect by Steve Curry. I'm going to get into that at the end of the show. Uh, I think the Kings really felt when the when the opportunity when the pressure came that hey we could lose this thing in the second half and we don't get it going and they didn't have any answer to get it going. It was uh the Warriors, the veterans pouncing on that. Uh, they had the energy, they had the momentum, and they know how to keep you know keep it. Bruce, you know Stephen Curry just had a game for the ages. I mean he drops fifty in Game Seven on the road against the Kings. No player ever scored more points in Game 7 of an NBA playoff series in history. Not MJ, not Wilt, not KD, nobody. Stephen Curry simply is the Golden State Warriors, much like Michael Jordan was the Chicago Bulls. And, oh, by the way, so who is Golden State's second most important player? You could make an argument for Kevon Looney at this point, the glass-eating monster in the middle for the Dubs. He leads the NBA in rebounds this postseason with more than 15 a game. He had 20 or more in three of the seven games against the Kings. And I know Ross has some things he wants to talk about as far as the Kings' strategy, but I can't wait to see him lock horns with Anthony Davis in that next round. That's going to be some fun to watch, Ross. Yeah. No, I mean, Looney's coming off a probably his best game of his career coming in a playoff series nonetheless. And, um, Quite impressed with what he did against the Kings. He kind of had his way down low. He looked like the best rebounder out on the floor, despite Sabonis being one of the best in the game. I mean, he was nowhere to be found as far as those loose balls are concerned. And, uh, you know, what I liked about this Warriors team, you know, will be you talked about the energy. They were getting every 50-50 ball. They wanted it more. They were ready for the moment, and they had been there. I think that was key for them. And then on, on Sacramento's side, they just didn't get a lot all series long from Kevin Herter. Um, I did like the adjustment that Mike Brown made, uh, giving Terrence Davis uh, some run in those last couple of games. And he provided a lift with some aggressive scoring. He had 14 on 5'11 shooting. He's not shy on about Sunday. shooting the ball. That was he hilarious. sure is not. He's not shy no. about shooting the ball. But, Can but he healed right. Yeah, <laughs> he, he he's the new buddy healed in Sacramento. If you ask me, he just kind of comes <laughs> yeah, up and starts go. slinging. That's a good one. Uh, Harrison Barnes. I mean, where was he the last couple of games? I mean, if if the Sacramento Kings had anyone to kind of lean on with experience in the playoffs, I mean, they sure didn't get it from Harrison Barnes. So was a little disappointed there. And I'll go back one last time here to wrap things up on a wonderful Kings season. I mean, he didn't play a stellar game in Game 7, but De'Aaron Fox, I mean, breaking his finger and what he was able to provide in those last two games was quite exceptional. I mean, I, I couldn't have been more proud of what he did uh, for his team and for for the city and for the fans continuing to play and playing at a pretty high level despite not having the shooting going his way. But, you know, obviously that, that Warriors defense was narrowed in on him and stopping him, and they did a pretty good job there. So, Hat tip to the Warriors. Now, as I look at previewing this upcoming series, I mean, this has got to be the NBA's dream, right? You got the best shooter of all time versus arguably the greatest player of all time and LeBron James. 
I think this series comes down to, guess who? Anthony Davis. I mean, what Anthony Davis are we going to get? Are they going to get one that's healthy? Are they going to get one that's engaged? He kind of fell in and out of uh, interest uh, during that Grizzlies series, and, and that can happen again. Now, granted, the Grizzlies are a little tougher down low. They have some physicality. They have, I mean, this team I'm a little concerned with. You know, we had talked about the Warriors about the, around the trade deadline, just their lack of center depth. They traded James Wiseman. They, they really didn't improve that five-man position. And, you know, Bruce, I'll start with you. Are, are you a little concerned that just the lack of – you know, front court death for the Warriors. I mean, would you be shocked to see Draymond guarding Anthony Davis here and there just to try and body yeah. him up a little bit? I mean, I could see that he's done that before. Um, Looney, as I said, I mean, you know, he's, you know, he's a little bit undersized compared to AD also. Looney goes around 6'9". AD, I think, is 6'11", maybe. Um, and, uh if Looney can at least compete with him, I mean, look, I said Looney was the number one rebounder in the playoffs. Anthony Davis is the number two rebounder. So they're the top two rebounding players. So if Looney can at least do what DeAndre Ayton didn't do against Joker on Saturday <laughs> night, which is make it a little bit more difficult for him to operate, if he can accomplish that and Steph and LeBron more or less cancel each other out, I mean, that's a big plus for a Golden State. And Oh, by the way, they have home court in the series, you know, number six seed with the home court, you know, and we know how good they are at home. So uh, I would say, you know, that that loss to sack in game six, notwithstanding, um, it's going to be fun to see how Looney does against him, because Looney seems like one of those guys who doesn't really care who's who he's kind of playing his own game out there. He doesn't yep. really seem to be affected by who guards him or who's guarding him or he, who he's guarding. Uh, Anthony Davis is going to have to box him out. And you don't see Anthony yeah. Davis box a lot of people out. He just kind of goes up and gets it. So we'll really, that's going to be a really interesting under the radar sort of matchup. And I think between Looney and, and Draymond, they're going to have to do most of the defending on, uh, on AD. Will be. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the situation with AD is what it always is. Are they going to push him outside on offense where he has to take shots around the perimeter where he stinks? There's just no other way to put it. He's terrible shooting. He's at his best when he's up near shooting near the rim. His world got a whole lot better this season when he got away from the three-point shot and took his game inside. He became, until he got injured, an MVP candidate, not just for his play on defense, but how, he, how well he did offensively. And I'm interested to see what they do to get him out of the middle uh, to get AD out of the middle because he's defending at the rim in the first round as well as anybody. The only person who defended at the rim shots better was uh, Al Horford. And Al Horford had t faced 22 fewer shots than AD at the rim. So AD, you know, his offense was up and down, like you said, Ross. It was really perplexing. It, just like you said, sometimes you didn't seem interested for whatever reason. Maybe he wasn't healthy. And there was that time he hurt his shoulder and stuff. But uh, if the Lakers want to win this series, here, here's a really weird thing. I looked this up today. LeBron James in the first round is the worst, or so far in his postseason, is the worst three-point shooter. He's shooting less than 20% on threes. And he's taking about 40 of them. So it's not like he's missed just a couple. He's missed everything. About, 40, about 20, 19%. 
inside three-point line. He's the best shooter so far in the playoffs. He's shooting about 68, 69%. So it's, but he's, he's still shooting the three. If he can really take his game, you know, put his numbers, he only averaged 22 in the series, but if he can take his game inside somehow and get the points there, uh, Lakers defense has been awesome since the second half of the season, since the all-star break. And if they can continue that, they're, you know, the Warriors aren't matching up with the Kings defense. They're matching up with the Lakers defense, who just got through a really uh, a really tough opponent in Memphis. So the Lakers have a shot in here. Uh, I don't know if they have enough offense to get through it, but their defense is going to keep them in this game, in this series. I actually like the Lakers in this series. I think that they match up well against this team, have the size, and unlike Sacramento in that game seven, They've got the rebounders down low to limit uh, the Golden State Warriors to one shot. So um, I'm actually going to take the Lakers in seven. I see this one going the distance, and it sure will be fun to watch Steph Curry and LeBron go at it. I know that LeBron's going to be tested by Curry to push his limits, and I think at the end of the series, LeBron will be exhausted if they even do win the series just because – He's going to be pushed all, all, all series. There's going to be no coasting with the Golden State Warriors. They just go, go, go with their pace of play. So really looking forward to seeing that. But, Bruce, um, who do you have in the series? And then we'll get to World B and wrap things up. I just wanted to just make one more point before I get sure. to the prediction. Uh, this will be the fifth time that LeBron ha- has played – a LeBron team has played the late, the um, Warriors, the dynasty team, uh, the fifth time. It's three to one Warriors over him. And it's really sort of one Draymond Green flagrant foul in 2016 away from possibly being four nothing Warriors in that. Uh, I don't really know. (laughs) It's funny. I could make the argument for either team to win. I'll say this much. If D'Angelo Russell plays like he did towards the end of that Memphis series, I think the Lakers have a really legitimate chance because you're right. LeBron has been throwing bricks from outside on this in this series, but he's been getting to the rim and overpowering guys in the paint like he's been doing for, you know, 20 years. Um, so I'm going to say I really think it's close. I mean, and I like both teams. I wouldn't have a problem with either team winning. I'm going to probably lean slightly towards uh, the Lakers, but, okay. you know. I haven't been right much lately, so. (laughs) (laughs) Neither have I. World B. (laughs) Uh, I like the Warriors in seven. I think they have the edge of coaching, and I'm going to get to that at the end of the show. I think they have uh, more talent. They have more as well as – and I like the Lakers. I think Austin Reeves has been great to watch. AD and LeBron are two of my favorites. Uh, I think Curry is – you know, before that – 50-point game, he was still having a great series. I don't expect Clay Thompson to have the kind of game he had in game seven much much longer. I think, you know, I think defensively they're they're gonna pick it up. Uh transition game. Can the Lakers who love to get up and down and the Warriors shut down the Kings transition game? They had two points, uh fast break points the Kings did in game seven. Now the flip side, the Warriors didn't have any. There were only two fast break points the entire game, game seven. So uh, but the Warriors don't like to do that, but the Kings do. And the Warriors shut them down to two points and fast break. So can they do that to the Lakers D or Lakers offense? Excuse me. I think they will. And I think they'll pull out a game. This is going to go seven. I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
And when they when these series now, because of the length, goes seven, everything becomes a storyline. Well, maybe Draymond will get another suspension or something. He'll sit out. He'll get benched. He'll come back. Yeah. We're going to have so many you know, storylines. What's wrong with AD? We'll get that about three times in this series if it goes the distance. And uh, I just think ultimately I'm a big believer in the way Steph Curry's playing wait, even before that game, and I think he'll uh, take him to uh, the conference finals. Sure should be a lot of fun. And uh, with that, we've reached the halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. And let's discuss another team out east, another matchup. And that is the Miami Heat staying red hot, taking game one inside Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. World B, the Knicks are your squad, so I'll let you – uh, take over from here and uh, tell us what you saw in that uh, game one. And uh, do you expect Julius Randle back for game two? Well, let's get this out of the way first. The Miami Heat cheated. I haven't figured out how yet, <laughs> but they cheated. So that's uh, that's number one. Uh, what this comes down to really is uh, the Knicks can't shoot. <laughs> it's just they weren't able to. We, we overlooked that in the Cleveland series because they – crashed the boards so well they just dominated the offensive glass like you wouldn't believe so we focused on that and didn't want to point out the fact that they're terrible that it's shooting they couldn't shoot anything in that series and it's continued i mean they shot they shot 47 but they only shot 21 percent from threes in this league you're not going to make it if you shoot like that with as many threes as go as you know you have to take um so i think you know jalen brunson are you going to get 0 for 7 from him from three-point no. range? Or I don't think so either. Um, it wasn't their best effort. Uh, they had it. And Miami in the third quarter just absolutely took it over the way uh, we've seen him do against uh, against Milwaukee. And Jimmy Butler, before his ankle injury, was, was Jimmy Butler. It 5 of 10 on three-pointers in the third quarter. That really changed the game. And... My, the Knicks did not have an answer, and unlike some other series, I think uh, Thibodeau's going to have to adjust. I don't, you know, he's going to have to, like you said, I think Randall will be in the lineup on Tuesday. I think he's he has to, even if he gives you, you know, he obviously the ankle's hurting. It was hurting before the end of the season. It hurt him. He put the numbers he put up in the Cleveland series let you know he's not a hundred percent. But they don't need a hundred percent of Julius Randle. They need the depth is what they need. Uh, Toppin was was fairly uh, solid off the bench into the starting lineup with eighteen points, hit four threes. Nobody else was hitting them. Uh, <laughs> but you want that production coming off the bench. And the Knicks, the key for the Knicks has been their depth. And when you take somebody out of the lineup, it just shortens the bench a little bit. They only played. They really only played seven guys in this game uh, uh Grimes played 10 minutes but he's not healthy either so the Knicks the thing I took away from game one was the Knicks can't shoot and it cost them you know as bad as they were from three-point range they were really efficient on twos they were 65 percent shooting yep. twos 34 out of 52 they did a very good job on the boards right they out-rebounded Miami by nine uh, but they were terrible at the free throw line 12 out of 20 that's just 60 percent so that Definitely ties into what you're saying about their shooting woes. And Miami was 23 out of 29 at the line, which is decent, not great. But 
11 point difference at the free throw line in a seven point game, you know, just do the math. I mean, I know that's how that goes. Um, one thing, you know, it's funny. Each of the big studs on these two teams has an ankle problem, right? I mean, Jimmy Butler hurt his ankle in the game. Randall's been dealing with an ankle. That's a tough thing to deal with. I mean, you know, because that affects every single step you take on the court. But here's the thing, okay? Kyle Lowry had a really good game for those guys on Sunday. He didn't have the 33-point game that he had a couple weeks ago where I said he'll never have another one of those again, (laughs) probably the rest of his career. But he had 18 five and six and hello four blocked shots Kyle Lowry had four blocked shots has to be a career high okay um and he only had two turnovers in 30 minutes so I'd be surprised if he duplicates that performance I think with Julius Randle almost certain to give them something in that game I don't know how much I don't see New York losing game two at home because if they go down 0-2 and then have to go to Miami, they might as well start making starting times for you know the week after because it will probably be next to impossible to win four out of five with three of those games in Miami. I agree with you, Bruce. I definitely like the Knicks' chances in game two. I think, number one, we'll see Julius Randle suit up, and I think he's going to make a difference. And number two, Jalen Brunson's got to be better. He knows that. He came out and said it. And he's the type of guy I would believe on uh, in a game two to be totally back to up to par what we expect from him. I think he knows that he obviously let his team down as the leader. Um, and uh, I think he's just going to be better all around. I mean, obviously, I think he might limit the three-pointers and, and try to get to the basket a little bit more, initiate some contact, get to the foul line. He only shot four free throws. I mean, I, he could definitely increase that in game two by being a little bit more aggressive off the dribble and having Julius Randle out there setting screens, rolling, popping, diving should also help that effort. Um, and then, you know, as World B said about this shooting, I mean, Obi Toppin led, led this team in three-pointers made. I mean, if there's any game Obi Toppin's leading your team in three-pointers made, you're probably not winning. So I fully expect to see a better effort from the outside, from guys like Emmanuel quickly off the bench who only had nine points. This is a six man of the year candidate we're talking about here. He didn't really play up to par. I think both those two critical pieces to the Knicks puzzle in their guard play, Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel quickly bounce back and have a strong game two to tie this thing up headed to Miami for game three. By the way, I got to make a real quick comment because I, you know, last episode <laughs> I missed and I listened to you guys, um, yeah, I gotta give RJ some props. I mean, you know, you were you guys were begging me to give him props and wondering if I would. He uh, has been really solid uh, as long as he doesn't shoot a three pointer. He's been really solid. Um, unfortunately, he took five of them the other night and only made one, but that's right on cue with with his uh, perimeter game. But he's been great at driving the ball to the basket. He, it's been really uh, an impressive display the last four or five games from him uh, taking the ball to the rack because he's really hard to defend when he takes it inside, when he takes it to the basket. There's very few at his side that can get to the basket the way he does and convert. He's been having a good run there. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with with uh, with Jimmy Butler. And by the way, Kevin Love had a great game. You imagine yeah. being Kevin Love. You're not good enough to even play in Cleveland. They just let you go because you couldn't play anymore. And – 
he ends up in Miami, and Miami's not playing him a whole lot. You know, the start of his tenure with them because he, he you know, wasn't healthier. He just wasn't shooting the ball well, and he had a great game. He's been the starting lineup the last few games, and really his outlet passing really changed the game. Uh, really changed the game, the outcome, the momentum of the game, the way he's able to get rid of the ball off rebounds. So another veteran who's still got something in the tank, as we're we're finding out here. Uh, I'm wondering what Josh Hart is what he's going to do if if Butler, even if he plays or doesn't play, because Butler really did a number on him in this game. He he had his way with Josh Hart, who we don't you know don't normally see that. And Josh Hart did not have a great offensive game. 0 for four from threes. He only finished with ten points. Uh, so that's that's a matchup worth watching in game two. You know, I Nixon three. Right. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned um, uh, Kevin Love. I was watching Sports Center on Monday morning, uh, and they showed those three two-handed, almost length of the court outlet passes that he threw. All three of them traveled over sixty feet in the air and were right there. It looked like you know Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski on a couple of those. They were perfect, and he's been doing that his entire career. It's a really it, it's nobody does that pass better than Kevin Love, even now that he's like 59 years old and a 30 year veteran. He just he's got that move down. Yeah, no, that definitely quite impressive. And, uh, you know, seems like the Cavs might be regretting that decision, just letting Kevin Love go, as they certainly could have used him against the New York Knicks last series when they were uh, taken down. But let's move into our fourth quarter here and get to the series that you were at, Bruce, as the Nuggets are hosting the Suns. Uh, Actually playing tonight, game two, as we currently speak, holding a 1-0 lead in the second round series. And uh, you were there, my friend. How about you start us off with uh, where you see this series going moving forward? I was really shocked at how easily Denver handled those guys. Uh, They came out with incredible energy. Aaron Gordon was just dynamic out of the gates. He came out, he like was blasted out of a cannon in the first quarter. He was like, and, and as I mentioned in my opening comment, I was sitting, you couldn't be closer to the court than I was. That dude is fast. For a big guy, he is fast from end to end even dribbling the ball. Uh, the energy that Denver came out with really just kind of overwhelmed Phoenix, I thought, uh, particularly in the second quarter. I mean, it was the second quarter was 37-19 for the Nuggets, 18-point difference, which was actually the final margin of the game, 18 points. So that second quarter really set the tone for the rest of the game. Denver grabbed them by the throat, and they just kept, you know, they never, they never let go. Uh, Jamal Murray was amazing. I mean – he had 34. He was six of 10 on threes. He had nine assists, five rebounds, two steals. Um, he also led the team in scoring and minutes played in the first round uh, series. So, uh, and Joker Ho Hum had 24 and 19. He really kind of had an off night, though. I mean, he's a 63%, you know, field goal shooter. He was way under 50% in this game, but, he, you know, you have to account for him. 19 rebounds. All right. Um, but I would say if I were to say who, you know, who the, the key guys were, it was, uh, Jamal and Gordon. Uh, they just really, they buried Phoenix. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously Jamal Murray had a big game. He's been big all, uh, playoffs long for this Denver team. Do you think that the Phoenix Suns 
have a defensive backup for Murray. I just don't know if Booker's able to go ahead and defend Murray on one end and exhaust all that effort offensively on the other end. Do you think, Moby, do you think that, that, that the Suns have an answer for Jamal Murray? Uh, I think they, I think that's what they're going to try and do. I think the problem is uh, over the course of the series, this is why I think Denver before the series is going to win is in that first round, Phoenix played Phoenix five starters played more minutes than any other five player unit played like 84 minutes. Nobody else in the first round, no other five player unit, any combination played that many minutes. They went heavy on their starters and that's a lot of veterans that are in that starting lap. And I thought if there was something that Phoenix was going to try, was going to do was try really, really hard to, obviously they want to win every game. This sounds like a cliche, but they're really going to go all out to win one of these first two games in Denver because if they keep giving these starters that minutes and then you got to go back to Denver later in the series to try and you got to get one of them. If you don't get one of these first two and they obviously dropped the first one, it's really difficult in that altitude to get game five or game seven uh, with all your starters Veterans that they may, even though Kevin Durant has not exactly been a workhorse all season because of his injuries and whatnot, but that's really hard to do. So I lost game one. I expect Phoenix to really push him in this game. But you're right, Jamal Murray. This is his time of year. How many guys who are not an all star but are fairly solid? This becomes their time of year. He's like you know to Bruce's. Celtic playoff Rondo type kind of guy. He shows up in these moments, nine assists to go along with those 34 points. I mean, he just, he shines in these moments and Booker's going to have to match him. There's just no other way around it. He, that was the, that was the deal. It's supposed to be KD and Booker. And we saw it in the first round. We saw it at the end of regular season. Well, now it's got to be, uh, that's how it's got to be again. It was in game one, just not enough. Phoenix has to figure out a way to kind of slow Denver's roll a little bit. Denver got up so many more shots than Phoenix did in the first game. They had 101 field goal attempts to 84, 17 more shots. Now, again, the the Nuggets were also hot from downtown. I mean, they were 43% for the game from beyond the arc. Uh, and you mentioned in the earlier part of the show how Boston was outscored by, like, what, 27 21 points on threes and and they lost. Well, the same thing happened. Uh, The Nuggets outscored Phoenix by 27 points on threes, 48 to 21 in game one. Um, And as for KD, you know, it's funny. He had good numbers, 29 and 14, three blocks, but he also turned the ball over seven times. And that is something that can't happen. Okay. Uh, I think Monty Williams did understand that he needed to go deeper in his bench because of that fatigue factor. And he had uh, Okogi starting and brought Tory Craig in off the bench. Uh, but Damian Lee, Landry Shamit saw more action than they had prior. Uh, and even Jock Landale chipped in with seven points. But uh, Phoenix is going to need even more from their bench. And I'll tell you what, another thing I observed, and then I'll shut up here. Chris Paul definitely needs to have a better game. He His energy level definitely looked a bit off in that game. So it could be that he's a 30, almost 38-year-old guy. He turns 38 in like five days or whatever. Um, so he he probably needs to play fewer minutes so that he can give it more oomph when he is out there, Ross. 
Yeah, Chris Paul only having five assists in that game was quite a shocker. His assist numbers have been down a little bit now that Devin Booker is operating with the ball and, of course, getting double teamed at times when the defense allows it. So, um, you know, definitely need Chris Paul to play better. And last thing I'll say before we go ahead and get into our final thoughts here tonight is uh, not sure if you caught this, Bruce, having been at the game working for ESPN, but after the game one uh, loss, DeAndre Ayton did say, you know, he's going to turn up the toughness a notch here in game two. And uh, are you a buyer or seller of that idea coming from DeAndre Ayton's mouth? Well, considering that, you know, while Nikola Jokic is pounding the offensive glass and missing layups, but still getting the ball back and trying it again. And DeAndre Ayton's on the other side of the end line, kind of looking at him with this dopey look on his face. It's like, I'm going to buy it. Okay. Don't know if he'll be able to execute it. I think the the will will be there, but will the skill? I don't know. Yeah, the will and the skill. Well and one more there. one more thing. Uh, one more thing on this. I was going to just mention we didn't talk about it, but uh, Mike Malone of the Nuggets. Michael Malone. Connection. Do not call him Mike. He only wants to be called Michael. Just well, he comes know. on the show. I'll I'll change it. Coach Malone. Now he's not going to come on the show because you called him Mike. Jesus, Michael. Coach, Coach Malone. <laughs> yes. Uh, really laid into his team in game one. It got mic'd up. He was part of the mic'd up sound that, during the coverage. And he Michael'd really, up. and I'll clean it up. Michael'd up. Sorry. And uh, he basically called him out and told him, hey, you want to win? You want to get to, you want to win a championship? It's out there on the court. And those guys responded. It was really great sound, really to hear. It was finally kind of mic'd up sound that was worth listening to, really, because you hear a lot of silliness when you you get this a lot of times. That was real stuff. That was a coach not doing his usual coach speak. That's a coach getting in his team's face saying, enough of this. If you want to win a championship, you're talking about winning a championship. It happens right out there in the court, and they came out and responded to it. So major props to Coach Malone for – for not only uh, challenging his team, but getting them to respond, and kudos for having the uh, you know being able to listen to it. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, briefly here before we get to our final thought, I'll just share my quick best bets presented by BetOnline.ag, your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. And this one's a real quick one here. Despite what happens tonight uh, at the time of taping in this game two between the Suns and Nuggets. I am taking the Phoenix Suns to win game three, uh, their first second round home game. So go ahead and mark that down. I don't even know the odds yet. They're probably not even out yet, but the Phoenix Suns will win game three back at home. And with that, let's get to our final thought. And Bruce, lead us off. Okay, thanks, Ross. Milwaukee head coach Mike Budenholzer was bashed last week for being outcoached by Eric Spolstra as the Bucks lost their first round series to the Heat. But what none of us knew at the time was that he was coaching through heavy grief. In case you missed it, one of his brothers died in a car accident before game four, which was last Monday. Dealing with the pressure of coaching in the NBA playoffs while trying to handle such a family tragedy is just brutal. I mean, go back and look at a photo of Bud addressing the media after the Bucks were eliminated in game five. The look on his face is a mixture of anguish, disappointment, and just plain exhaustion. A lot has been discussed about caring for the mental well-being of players, and we all agree that's a priority. But the mental well-being of coaches is just as important. 
The job is stressful beyond belief, requiring a 24-7 commitment during the season, as Ross will certainly agree. And when a team is winning, the vast majority of the credit goes to the players. When a team does poorly, the coach usually pays the price. It's not fair. It is what it is. I know Bucks fans are rightly disappointed that the team left the stage early, but they should still be proud of their coach, who showed a great commitment to the Bucks family while mourning the loss of a beloved member of the Budenholzer family. Well said there, Bruce, and our thoughts and prayers go out to Coach Bud, his family, the Bucks organization, and uh, hopefully he's able to get through this. And yeah, that's tough news to hear, especially after the criticism uh, that was taken on his behalf of uh, some decision making. But naturally, I, you know, I'm not sure you can all be all quite there after something like that. So our thoughts are with him. World B. Thank you, Ross. Uh, sticking with my Warriors theme for this episode, it's about time Steve Kerr gets some credit for being one of the best to coach this game. You know, because he walked into a pretty good situation in 2014 with future Hall of Famers Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson. And because his persona is that of a quiet, humble man, Kerr usually is overlooked when discussions of great NBA coaches comes up. But Steve Kerr has shown in his first-round series that he is more than just a coach who rolls the ball out. His decision to implement Draymond Green's suggestion to come off the bench after his return from suspension in Game 4 and then reinsert him into the starting lineup for Game 7 were turned out to be game-changers in that series. They both worked to perfection, and it really was one of the unsung reasons why they were able to advance. Yes, the Warriors are not here today without Curry's 50 points or Kevon Looney's 21 rebounds in Game 7. But a great coach knows how his personnel knows how to get through to him. And is there any coach out there that knows his team better than Steve Kerr? No, I don't think there is. Great point there will be. And he has done a great job always kind of just uh, listening to his personnel and being very open-minded to make changes as uh, some are suggested to him. And he trusts those that he either hires to be on his staff or – employees as you know on his roster some of the guys that that they go out and get and you know there's something to to be said about the Warriors mentality and it all starts up top with Steve Kerr so uh, nicely done there as for my final thought it is a quick one but you know one of the coolest parts of hosting this podcast is seeing just how many countries tune into our show so far we've reached 24 different countries of people that have tuned into our podcast and uh, you know having tracked this I did notice One thing in particular, we have a loyal listener in France who listens to each and every episode. And unfortunately, I'm unable to give them a personalized shout out. But I do want to give them a big thank you for being a fan of the show. And I do want to thank all our listeners across the world that tune in. I think nothing makes me happier. And I'm sure I speak for all of you guys as well. I mean, being able to go ahead and and speak about this game, have some fun and share it with everyone has been probably the, the coolest. And, and I'm not sure that will ever be top. So want to thank all our listeners and a Absolutely. special thank you to that uh, uh, basketball fan in France that we have that locks into every podcast. So with that, that will do it. I think, for this uh, edition. I think, 
I think that's Victor Wenbayama who who's our. Oh, I think that's yeah. who that might be. He's he's getting schooled on the NBA. I see. Yeah, he's learning yeah, the he's... finer points of the game. He will be so ready for the league after listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. Well said, there, Bruce. And uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the Forty Eight Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Friday to be your, be sure you're up to date in Forty Eight on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.